Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. I see myself in two roles. My my first role is as the head of HR at Dulux Group, an international business company based in Melbourne, Australia. But my second role that I frame for myself is as an educator. And I see myself um, increasingly stepping into that role to help HR practitioners and managers at all levels to take up their change role, particularly in disruptive times. And I see that I can add value because I'm what I call an insider. I spent 10 years of my career as a management consultant and outsider flying across four continents and helping hundreds of leaders to create more agile and productive workplaces. But then I spent the second part of my career in the last 20 years as an insider. Shivan has worked across four continents, helping thousands of leaders to create more agile and productive workplaces. She has been on the inside as the executive in charge of change in a series of large multinational organizations. One of these inside jobs was a radical seven-year change at ANZ Bank that transformed it from the lowest performing bank in the country into one of the highest performing banks in the world. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Not because it's my podcast, but there are two things that I truly love about this work that I'm doing at the Hacking HR podcast. One of them is all the learning, all the lessons, all the experiences, everything that I'm learning through this podcast and that I'm hoping you are learning as well. But of course, that goes hand in hand with the fact that we are learning from a global community of incredible people from literally all over the world, bringing them to the podcast, hearing them speak about a number of topics that are critical, fundamental for us to succeed in the world of HR and how they see it from their regions. So I am very, very happy to be connecting directly with Australia and Shivan. How are you, Shivan? Really well, Enrico. Thank you for, for chatting with me today. I'm so happy to have you with me today. And this is going to be a great conversation about all things culture, your book, uh, Insider's Guide to Culture Change, a little bit about agility. But before going there, I want to ask you this question. You are a, a very famous LinkedIn person. You have put all these videos together, delivering great messages to HR leaders, to business leaders on culture and a number of other things. And I want to ask you, what do you, how, how important has it been for your work to be able to not only talk about culture, but to convey that message to the networks? Because very often you get people 
very knowledgeable and incredible and talented like yourself, but they hold back, right? And they keep all these things for themselves or for their small teams, but you have put all these ideas out there. So, so what does it mean for you to be able to sort of spread these incredible ideas around? Yeah, I, I see myself in two roles. My, my first role is as the head of HR at Dulux Group, an international company based in Melbourne, Australia. But my second role that I frame for myself is as an educator. And I see myself um, increasingly stepping into that role to help HR practitioners and managers at all levels to take up their change role, particularly in disruptive times. And I see that I can add value because I'm what I call an insider. I spent 10 years of my career as a management consultant and outsider flying across four continents and helping hundreds of leaders to create more agile and productive workplaces. But then I spent the second part of my career in the last 20 years as an insider and the executive in charge of change in a series of multinational firms. And, and this perspective is what I think I bring, is that how do you do change when you're actually in the role to make change happen? And uh, sometimes uh, the theories work, but sometimes you, gotta, you've got to test the theories and come up with practical tools for making change happen faster and with less noise. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that you define yourself as an educator because ultimately that's a gigantic part of the work that a nature leader should be doing. It is educating themselves about all things that are happening in the world and at the same time transferring that curated experience, that curated education and knowledge to the people in their company. So I am loving that. Now, let me connect this to something that you said, which is your experience as an insider, managing, leading cultural transformation, being the head of HR. How, how has it been for you to, to leave these values of change from a nature leader perspective? And I ask you this question because I don't have anything about against academia, but it's easier to write a book when you're just asking people what they're doing than to actually reading the book and taking that to make it happen in the workplace. So there's a gap in there and you are inside, you are leaving these ideas, you wrote the book. So I want to ask you, how does it feel being inside and trying to make all these things happen culture-wise? Yeah, I think uh, the HR role is a fantastic role, but one of the things I did notice uh, about a decade ago when I was looking for books on culture change was that most of the books had been written by outsiders, by academics, by journalists, by management consultants. And of course, that's a, a vitally important perspective, but there was this missing component for me, which was where is the insider perspective? Where are the practitioners? Where are the HR people who have led change and, and understand the practicalities and the challenges of, of leading change inside an organization? And that's where I thought, well, I, I must stay Step up. I must share my own experiences, which is, has led me to write the book, The Insider's Guide to Culture Change. And one of the things that I talk about in that book is um, a seven-year journey at a bank called ANZ in Australia, where we transformed the bank from one of the lowest performing banks in the country to one of the 
highest performing and best regarded banks in the world and some of the lessons along the way, some of which um, actually go against what we've been taught uh, in terms of workplace culture. That is fantastic. And, and I want to ask you, I'm going to create a little bit of a, of a group therapy approach in here. I want to ask you, <laughs> a lot of the HR leaders that are, of course, listening to, to this podcast, they, they are going through a journey of cultural transformation and they may, they may be finding themselves in the same place, reading all these books, except yours yet, because they have to read yours uh, to understand the insider's uh, point of view. But they are looking at all this material and, and they may say, you know what? All of these things don't make sense for my organization, right? I, I can't make any of these things happen. So let me ask you this question. What have been the most difficult challenges that you have encountered in your career when it comes to cultural transformation? Yeah, so I'll give you an example from the ANZ Bank. When I walked into the bank for the first time, I saw that the head office was amazingly plush. It had marble pillars, it had beautiful plush carpets, it had offices with sweeping views of the bay. Uh, later the week, uh, that week when I joined, I went to see the branches and I noticed a very different picture. There was paint peeling from the walls, there was threadbare carpets, and there were queues of customers not getting the service that they needed. And one of the things I noticed that was running the company was a pattern of blame between head office and the branches, where head office were taking up role of order taker and the branches were taking up the role of, well, no, the head office was in role of order giver and the branches were in role of order taker. So they were taking the orders and just being the servants. And this pattern of blame was going around and around between the head office and the branches. And it was draining all the energy and distracting uh, the organization for, from delivering great customer service. So one of the biggest things that you've got to see is the patterns that are running the, the organization or the workplace. And most people get caught up in the behaviors and they need to see the patterns. And it's the difference between the dancers and the dance. Hmm. Often focus on the dancers or the behaviors of individuals rather than seeing the, the dance or the patterns or the agreements between the parts that are actually keeping us stuck. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. What are some of the most amazing things that you observed as a result of all this cultural transformation? You got, you got in there, people were blaming each other, branch and HQ were like, you know, a great building and a building that was like falling apart and you made all these changes. What happened after that? What, what was the result? After seven years on this journey, the bank went, the ANZ bank went from the worst performing bank in the country in terms of customer satisfaction to the highest performing bank in the country on customer satisfaction. Its profits had doubled over that wow. period. Its share price had trebled over that period. Its staff engagement went from extremely low, where half the people didn't even want to be working at the bank, to being one of the highest engaged large, work, large organizations in the country. And it also went to the number one bank globally on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. Wow. 
for being seen as the most sustainable bank in the world and satisfying the needs of its multiple shareholders or stakeholders, not just its, its financial uh, role. So it was an extraordinary journey over that seven year time frame and one that was really leader led at all levels. So that's what I talk about in my book. How do you get this movement and this sense of culture change being leader led at all levels within the organization? Love the use of the word movement, by the way, uh, because very often it, you, you hear people talking about culture being owned or the, the sole responsibility or, or of, of HR or the CEO. And it has to be, like you're saying, leaders led, right? It is, it is all throughout the organization. And it seems from this experience that it pays off, right? Investing in cultural transformation, doing the right thing pays off at the end of the day. And that's something that is so important to convey the message to business leaders who are still a little hesitant about whether cultural transformations will end up impacting positively their business. Yeah, and I think to the co-creation of that, often in HR we do co-create that assumption uh, and we've got to start framing culture in more than just employee experience terms. And of course, um, employee experience is really important, but culture is not just about employee experience. And it seems to me that our toolkit is mostly about engagement and employee experience. When managers, especially in these times of disruption, want us to create cultures that can deliver, that can grow and that can adapt. And that's one of the things I cover in my book is a four step solution to creating cultures that can deliver, grow and adapt, not just cultures that can be highly engaged. Obviously that's important, but in these disruptive times, we've got to equip ourselves with a solution that's broader than that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna ask you, this should have been the first question and we're asking it, I'm asking it in the middle of the podcast, that um, what, what's, your, what's your understanding about culture? And, and maybe more importantly than just, uh, you know, uh, the definition of, of culture, how do you contextualize it to a world in crisis that is volatile, uncertain, disruptive? How do you, how do you bring that concept to culture into this specific kind of world, which is the world right now? Yeah, and I think culture in the past has often been framed as values and behaviors or what within the workplace. Culture for me is more about how things happen and it's about the deeply embedded patterns that govern how the organization or the workplace operates. So less about the dancers and more about the dance and seeing what are those patterns that we can often become blind to. So it's a bit like when you're in a family, you have patterns in a family, but when you're in the family, it's hard to see those patterns. It's often hard to see that dysfunction in particular, but those outside the family can look in and say, ah, oh, that's very dysfunctional. When you're in the family, it's like, it's normal for you. And the same thing in workplaces, often you have to step back. And I often talk about stepping onto the bridge. It's a bit like being a captain of a ship. You need to step onto the bridge and have a look and see, well, what are the patterns that maybe 
at one stage served me and serves the organization, which, which may, may no longer serve us as we move into the next normal, particularly in disruptive times. So for me, um, culture in the next normal is about really starting to define what are the patterns that are going to best serve us and what are the ones that we may need to let go of as we navigate in, in these uncertain times. Absolutely. I, I love this idea of being about the dance and not just the dancers. Um, what are the elements that make up a great culture? I know that it varies. All workplaces are different. The dance and the dancers vary and the music is different everywhere. But what are the perhaps the core elements that you think these things replicated across the board will make up at least the foundation of a great culture? Yeah, I think I often use the lens of who are the key stakeholders in the organization. So you've got to create a place where those stakeholders can thrive and can prosper. So those stakeholders are usually the employees. Can you create a culture that's employee centric? Can you create a culture that's customer centric? Uh, can you create a culture that, that it meets the shareholder needs that is commercially viable? And also that is good for the wider community, a sustainable business. And I think if you keep uh, those key stakeholders in mind and you create a culture that can meet the, those needs, not just the need of one or two of those stakeholders or shareholders, then you are going to um, create an organization that is likely to be more sustainable over the longer term. Absolutely. One, one word that you mentioned that I love, especially when defining the role of HR uh, in regards to, to what it's supposed to be doing in the organization is the word thrive. And I love that word because to me, at the end of the day, our role in HR is to help our organizations, our business leaders, and our people thrive and flourish at work. If we put together stuff that make that happen, great, we're adding value. Anything that becomes a roadblock to me is waste that is preventing uh, these groups of people, these uh, stakeholders to thrive at work. So Shivan, let me ask you, if you think back at this transformation that the bank went through over a period of seven years, and you, if you were to maybe summarize the three or four key elements that you focused on to be effective leading that cultural transformation, at least facilitating it or architecting it in the organization, what would those three or four elements be? Yeah, and I talk about these in my book, a four-step process. So one of the first ones is to diagnose the patterns that you've often become blind to. But the second one uh, is reframe, the power, the remarkable power of reframing to bring about faster change with less noise. And I've used this in multiple organizations, not just uh, the ANZ Bank, but um, for example, at an infrastructure company where I was working, uh, the managers were taking up the role of nice guys mm -hmm. and they wanted to be liked. And this sense of loyalty and connection and uh, fitting in was really important in the organization and it served it very well in its early days where it was growing rapidly and it had very big infrastructure projects in remote locations. But after a number of decades, this became a toxic pattern of being liked is more important than delivering to our customers. And so we had to reframe their role from 
Miss, Mr. or Mrs. Nice Guy to actually commercial leaders who were doing the right thing by their customers and providing value and also having the tough conversations within the organization that they needed to have because their contracts were not performing optimally. So reframing roles, it could be at an individual level, a department level, or even at the whole of organization level can bring about faster change with less noise. And that's what we did at the bank. We reframed the role of head office from order giver to support provider. And we reframed the role of the branches from order taker to um, um, customer service provider to customers. And uh, that reframe led to a much more rapid change. That is fantastic. Uh, you're, you're describing, by the way, a little bit of what I am originally from Latin America and Latin American, uh, the continent of Latin America and companies are more inclined to be the nice people in the room rather than the results oriented kind of organizations. That's why it's it becomes so complex for us to be competitive in the world because for us, relationships trump everything else. And yeah. I'm not saying that relationships are not positive. It's just that we have we have to make sure that our organizations are thriving and sustainable and profitable to make sure that we can build those relationships for the long term. So I am loving this reframing idea, right? Um, yeah. And you're very, I mean, you, you talk about sometimes you can hold that frame or that mental map of a role at a national level. Mm. Um, nation may see itself in one way as the nice people or the nice guys and and that may no longer be serving them in a in a disruptive world so you can see how these mental maps of your role can be held at different levels even at a national level we can frame ourselves in a certain way I'm Irish by background and we have a, a certain framing of our role as well we tend to have not not everybody that's a generalization but different nationalities can frame and take up their roles in certain ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that understanding is so powerful, right? To, to help us better identify the strategies, the strategies for change. So that's, that's fantastic. I want to switch gears, but not too much, just a little bit of gears here uh, to the connectivity between culture agility and productivity, because I know you are very passionate, not only about culture, but also making sure that the organization is agile and of course it's productive. So what's the, what's the connecting, connecting tissue among culture, agility and productivity? Yeah, I think they are connected. And again, for me, it's about seeing what are the patterns that are stopping you from, from being agile. So, for example, um, it, it will be different in different companies. What are, what are those unique patterns that stop your agility or stop your productivity? And it could be, for example, um, a team where people step down to do the work of others. So it's a micromanagement pattern. We step down to do the work of others. So managers are in role of micromanagers and employees are in role of disempowered ones. Now that's going to stop your agility and your productivity. So there's a common thread there. You've got to be able to get to the heart of what is really going on in your organization that is stopping you being nimble and pivoting. Uh, for some organizations, it might be, we need more data. Mm. You know, we constantly, we can't make decisions because we need more data. 
For each organization, it's going to be unique, but this is where I say the first step in culture change is to spend the time diagnosing the, the patterns that are governing your organization. And most people don't, they rush ahead. They think, oh, we be nimble, we wanna be agile, we wanna be productive, let's get an action plan. And they don't spend enough time really truly understanding the deeply embedded patterns that are causing the noise and causing the lack of agility and causing the lack of productivity. So time spent there in the first stage of culture change, which is diagnosed, is really time spent well. Absolutely. And, and one thing that I am reflecting about now is I, I have worked in organizations that have gone through this diagnosing stage and trying to understand the patterns in the organization that are preventing the organization from being productive, agile, and having a great culture. And I, and I find often leaders that acknowledge what, what's happening, but they don't fix it, right? They don't, they just let it go because it is, this is the way we've always done things. Why are we going to change? Because they miss you know, if they are focusing on, on the frame, they, they are just focused on one sliver of that frame and they are missing all the possibilities that are outside of yeah. that small sliver if they were able to change. And what do you tell them? What, how do you encourage them to say, yes, that's the way you've always done things, but look at all that you're missing by not changing yeah, I think there's two points there. The first is the business case for change. We've got to be able to step into a role to create the commercial business case for why change matters. And the second thing is that my um, belief is that many leaders and indeed some HR people do not step into this change role because they don't know how. Mm. They know how to take up their technical role as an accountant or as a marketing manager or as an engineer, but nobody has actually given them the toolkit for doing culture change. So they go back to the work that they know how to do rather than the work that they don't know how to do and feel really uncomfortable in. And this is why I've written the book, The Insider's Guide to Culture Change, which has a simple, well, it's not simple, but it's got four steps. If you follow these four steps, then you've got your toolkit. At least you can start to learn how to do this work. Because really, we've, we've been told it's all about values and behaviors, and yeah. you just write down the values, and you spend months crafting the values, and then you publish the values, and it's like, oh, well, that's done. That's the culture piece now. We've got a few mugs and maybe some posters, and, and that's what we've been taught. And, and we all know that that doesn't work. We, we know it, and yet we keep repeating that formula. So... That really motivated me to share my insider secrets about what, what really does work and these diagnosing patterns, reframing roles, breaking patterns, keeping your foot on the change accelerator. These are the things that really do work over the longer term. That is, that is fascinating. And, um, and, I, and of course, I, I am hoping that we can be a little bit more uh, fearless in, in the role of HR and acknowledge that if we have a shortcoming in the area of culture change and transformation, we're able to say, I'm going to get Shivan's book. I'm going to read, I'm going to read it through and know how somebody who's been inside, who has dealt with the challenges and the opportunities to do this right, how she did it so that I can, you know, count on ideas from a practitioner, a leader, and not just somebody who, you know, who's been um, uh, just researching the ideas without really leaving 
uh, what they mean uh, when you got to put them into practice. So, Shivanas, we are wrapping up this wonderful conversation about culture. I want to ask you one last question. All journeys of transformation change, even if it's the journey of transforming yourself to transform the organization, begin somewhere. There's got to be a step number one. What would you tell HR leaders that to do first in their to-do list in order to begin this journey of, once again, of either transforming themselves to be able to transform the organization, or if they are there already to transform the organization? One of the things I would say is clarify roles right at the beginning. And I'll tell you a quick story on that. I was in an infrastructure company. I was hired because the company was losing money. It needed to create a more commercial culture. I was in a meeting with the CFO and he through for an hour the rationale for change and how much money the company was losing on its different contracts. And as we stood up, we shook hands to say goodbye. And he said, Siobhan, wishing you all the very best in changing the culture here. And in that moment, I realized that the CFO thought it was my role and my role alone in, in HR to change the culture. And often this is the myth. And we've got to start to frame each part's role because each part of the organization plays a critical role during culture change. But often these roles aren't defined or articulated are aligned. So one of the first conversations to have is what is the role of the different parts? And HR can take up a critical role, but it's got to equip itself with the right toolkit in order to enable managers to lead culture change uh, in a different way. So that would be one of the first conversations I would have about what is the role of the different parts. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for all your insights your experience and all the amazing work you're doing by sharing all of these ideas with the global community. So Shivan, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Enrique, and great to chat. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter, so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.